tell you, I don't care what they call me. They can call me a Marxist, a Jesuit, a flat earther, a Trotskyite, a vegetarian. I don't care what I'm called. Because I know why they call us names. It's because they dare not face Hello, and welcome to the Most Moderate Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Farrell, and today I'm joined by Esten and Alex in Germany. Hello. And Miguel in Spain. Hello. And today we'll be introducing our two new co-hosts, and then we'll move on to a discussion over the uh, riots on Capitol Hill last week, and then branch off that conversation into a free-form discussion over free speech and the rise of the far right in Europe and America. And so, starting off, we'll have our introductions, starting first with Alex. Alex, please introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Alex. I'm from Eastern Germany, and I'm a student in political communication and political science uh, at Dresden University. Uh, Being born and raised on the territory of the former Soviet satellite state, German Democratic Republic, shortly after its collapse, like for reference, it it collapsed in 1989 and I'm born in 1995. Uh, I've come in touch with a lot of precarious situations around me uh, following those events. On this podcast, I'll try to make use of my knowledge of political philosophy and give a perspective on the bigger picture of contemporary issues. I've read Marx, Lenin and Trotsky, as well as Rawls, Madison and Carl Schmidt, just to name a few. Just so you guys uh, who are listening to us know what you have to expect of me, I want to give you the base of my worldview, as there is always some normative part as, uh, in the way we classify what's happening around us. So the main study I derive my ideas from is the Club of Rome study Limits to Growth from the 1970s. It ties well uh, in well with contemporary discussion about uh, climate change. The scientists uh, that have worked uh, on it warn us at the Western world that our resource consumption is too high and this fact might lead to the demise of the Western world. As I think that most people like peace, prosperity and freedom in a sense that said uh, ABCD in a sense that lets them live the life uh, the way they wish. I believe that it's in everybody's interest to prevent a total societal collapse induced by the collapse of the ecological systems around us. I know that the Club of Rome is often denounced as a leftist organization, so what's pushed me over the edge is that the German military Bundeswehr, who is definitely not a leftist organization, (laughs) uh, has come to similar conclusions in their peak oil study from 2012. To prevent this collapse, there are two main points one needs to tackle that I'd like to explain here briefly. Today, we are individual human beings that live together in a society. So far, so good. I think everything, everyone's on board with this. So the first point is that we and future generations need to create a political system and a political atmosphere that makes sure that our planet stays habitable for everybody, also for future generations. The second point is a shift in human consciousness, and I mean that in the least esoteric way imaginable. I think on this podcast I'll be given the chance to elaborate more deeply on that one. The reason I'm a proponent of world federalism now is that we live in in an era of globalism, which means that there are global problems that also need to be approached globally. I'm living along the lines of the ideals of the French Revolution, Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité. And I'd like to see the global society become more egalitarian, which, going back to the problems shown in limits to growth, must be achieved economically first and foremost. In the sense of Noam Chomsky's manufacturing consent, and thanks to my studies of communication, I'll try to rebrand the way you and we guys uh, think about different issues so we all could approach a deeper truth in the things we learn about the world every day. So to wrap this one up, I'd like to help our listeners understand why a leftist progressive way of world federalism is, a much needed, is as much needed as it is also the way that is the most beneficial for most people living today and in the future. Yeah. Well, 
that was terrific. Uh, Co-host uh, that's new to the podcast is Miguel from Spain. Uh, you could just give a brief introduction to yourself, Miguel. Well, hello, I am Miguel. I was born and raised in Spain and lived most of my life here in a smallish city in the periphery. I also lived for a bit in the US of A, but now I am back in Spain, living very near Madrid. I study at university history and political science, and you know, my interest in those things goes kind of way back. My dad was sort of an anarchist, so you might say I was at least partially radicalized at home. You know, I remember being 15 and arguing in class that Spain should tear down the fence on its land border with Morocco and let everyone in, which wasn't a very popular position at the time, but <laughs> that's what I believed. I also, at some point in high school, I started learning Esperanto, which kind of screams that I am a pedantic snob, but it has really been one of the great pleasures of my life. I am not much of a by-the-book leftist, and I haven't read a lot of theory. There was one selection of anarchist essays from all the big writers that you might know, and that was nice and formative, but not much beyond that. So the other big factor in my political development has really been my anxiety about the future, you know, both personal and planet-wise. And I guess something kind of just feels wrong about a system that causes existential dread in young people, and at the same time it tells you that you should be super excited about things to come. And I guess finally my ideas come also from an appreciation of the natural world, and art, and all the things that make life worth living. I don't want a dictatorship of the proletariat so much as I want sunrises and cats. So, all in all, I guess I am more of an eclectic person when it comes to my politics. Uh, what I want is bread and roses for all, which to me sounds much more simple than whatever this hell that we've set up is. Right now, I am very interested in the UBI and jobs guarantee debate, as well as in, you know, avoiding the death of everybody I've ever loved. I guess in an ideal world, I'd talk more about plants and about books and less about, and less about politics. But you know, this world is far from ideal, so here we are. Well, that was great. Yeah, thank you, Miguel. It's just, I envy you because your uh, introduction is just so alive and mine feels so cold. It's just great. Uh, and so, in our initial introductions, we, we didn't necessarily lay out w where politically we come from. And so, while I gave my biographical details, uh, I didn't uh, really say ideologically of where I come to the World Federalist Movement, and so I'll do so quickly. Um, so, politically, I've been on a wild uh, chart of growth. Um, you know, starting off as a Berniecrat, moving on to, you know, exp dabbling with anarchism and then Maoism, which was its giant leap. And now I'm firmly more of an orthodox Marxist uh, in the uh, sense of uh, the Marxist legacy of uh, parties like the SPD before. They stopped being Marxist um, and different uh, parties like that. Uh, you know, I've studied a lot of um, interwar period politics, particularly interested in those of Germany. And so if anyone's familiar with that area of politics, you'd most likely find me with the independent social Democrats. Um, and so that's that. Um, Esten, you can... Just say where politically you come from. If you don't want to, that's fine. Um, yeah, so I'm mostly a um, yeah lefty world federalist. I read the Communist Manifesto when I was 18, and that just about rocked my world. Um, and then I went to uh, Alaska for three months to work in a like fish processing factory for 16 hours a day for upwards of like three weeks straight at a time. So after having just read the Communist Manifesto and then working in a very 
hard working conditions with a lot of uh, working class people doing dirty work and very capitalist system. Um, I was doing a lot of thinking in those long shifts, um, packing boxes of frozen fish. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. That really radicalized me actually. And then I went to school and uh, read a lot more theory um, and de developed what I thought was a very unique um, view of the world and human unity. Um, I thought I was the only person on the earth who thought like that, who thought um, that the world should be united. Um, and then I eventually found the movement and thought, oh, wow, I'm not alone. So, yeah, and it's just kind of grown from there. Uh, I dabble with, with uh, Marxism, and I don't read too much theory, uh, similar to Miguel, um, but I appreciate it all. And, yeah, I personally, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, as, as a, like an activist, or yeah someone more involved with politics like on the ground it's hard to make the theory super relevant for people so that's one thing where i i struggle with um with theory in general personally um, yeah. and its relationship to practice that's valid so, yeah. uh, all right well i'm glad all of you guys are here and i hope we have many more episodes so um starting off uh what was y'all's um reaction to the events of uh january 6th and the storming of the american capital alex if you'd like to start yeah i'm yeah as my friends say i always hang around the dark corners of the internet and one such dark corner is uh parlor as mm. you all know um and I could kind of say I should have seen it coming. Like uh, there was all those posts. I followed a few uh, people like Kelly McEnany or um, Dinesh de Sosa, who's a right wing uh, filmmaker. <laughs> and that's charitable. Yeah, his his latest work is Trump Card, where he uh, yeah peddled QAnon stuff, and uh, which leads me to my next point. I followed a lot of QAnon profiles, and they all were going on about uh, how the election is fraudulent and stuff and how we need the storm on the capital and to be really honest i should have seen it coming uh, or i should have seen it happening but uh, i i didn't or i couldn't believe it to be honest and yeah then january 6th happened and um, as you all know, uh, Germany is in a different time zone from, uh, from the USA. So, uh, I noticed it with a kind of delay, like, uh, 12 hours later. And I've seen the pictures. I've, uh, there was a German press there, um, recording all this. And it's, I was flabbergasted as to how violent everything played out, um, like uh there was a german uh news broadcast team there uh, from zdf which is a state organization in germany and um their filming equipment was destroyed and oh wow yeah it's um these uh, types of media in germany uh, are kind of a community effort like they're paid by um some kind of taxes mm -hmm. And to see how um, they are destroyed by uh, violent Americans was just, uh, yeah, it, it really hurt my brain. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, well, just first off, I really sympathize. I, I follow similar uh, sections of the internet, and I just thought they're bluffing. Like, I, you know, I thought it would be like the Unite the Right 2 rally where... If, like 40 people like who, who are really into it show up and then it's a disaster. But anyways, Miguel, what was your reaction? As you could say, I was shocked and then not shocked because <laughs> like, yeah, in a similar way, you know, like hindsight is 2020, obviously, but afterwards it felt like, well, yeah, this was coming a long way. And, but yeah, the, the first moment, especially when I heard reports that there was a shooting inside the capital, 
that was really the moment that that I felt like something really big is going on here because before I guess I had uh, dismissed it and then afterwards <laughs> it was again like well yeah of course this happened like we had been you know that tweet that everyone retweeted that said well that escalated uh, steadily for the past four years you know like yeah. obviously it's been more than four years since uh, the far-right movement really started but in the past four years uh, I guess we all should have seen something big coming and very few of us did so I don't know what that says about us as a society yeah um, Eston what was your thoughts as an American seeing uh, conservatives yeah. storm the capital I mean I didn't really know about it I was um, I think we were eating dinner and then people started like messaging uh, my girlfriend and and for questions about what was going on because they know that she's like with me and that I'm the American. And so a lot of people were <laughs> asking me to like sort of explain. And I didn't really know. I wasn't even watching the news. I was like, what? Well, I don't know. I mean, I heard there was something going to be that day, something they were going to do something, but I didn't realize how far it had actually gone. And so then we just turned on the like a live stream on on YouTube and watched for a couple of hours and yeah I was I was shocked like everybody really sad um yeah I mean I don't even know it was crazy it was really insane to see you never think that that would happen in the United States and um yeah I think yeah. a lot of people had the it can't happen here mentality mm -hmm. when it came mm -hmm. because we've seen uh over just the last few years, just uh, a lot of uh, protests across the world. Um, some good ones and some not so good, uh, you know, and they had been increasingly more and more militant, I'll, I'll say. Um, but I, I wasn't, you know, I shouldn't have been surprised, right? It's the logical conclusion of the rhetoric that the president and his lackeys have been spreading over the last couple, uh, last few months. Um, you know, if I thought uh, someone had just rigged the election and uh, that uh, it was stolen and, you know, and, you know, all the, if I had this narrative in my mind and, you know, I thought it, it's hard not to sympathize, but then you know it's, well, that's patently false. Um, and so I think, yeah, I was kind of, uh, I was shocked. Um, and, you know, it was about noon to about like four o'clock here. And so I'm just, I'm at home and I am just watching the news just shocked. Like my jaw was dropped the whole time and I just sat there and I, I couldn't move. Um, I... It, it was just a very uh, wild uh, period. Like, just, it felt like time froze there. And I, I just sat there and I, I couldn't move. Um, and then afterwards, once I started pro like pro processing it, I was, uh, that's when I was deeply worried. <laughs> I was like, well, if they can do this, and uh, what else can they do? Um, which is a bit alarmist, I think, uh, but it, it's a very worrying sign when a few thousand people can just overwhelm the Capitol building like that. Um, and to know the president turned down National Guard support, um, not that I support cracking down on protesters or anything, but I, I think the uh, sheer like incompetence and... Uh, willful negligence of the situation shocked me the most i i i don't know for me every protest i've been to the police presence has not been friendly and then to see this where they, you know some of the cops all like stood their ground did their jobs uh but then others were just complicit in the crimes it was just a very shocking situation I mean, I definitely think that the police were complicit in the, yeah, in the National Guard and everything. Like, it's crazy how many police and law enforcement bodies there are in Washington, D.C. And Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. And there were really even videos circulating on the internet uh, that showed police officers opening gates and uh, waving for protesters to come in. Like, um, yeah. I've seen it on Reddit actually. So it's just an example of one police officer, but each of these police officers uh, supporting this criminal behavior is just too much. And it's, um, it's difficult for me to want to sympathize with a cop, right? <laughs> but to know for if I was, <laughs> you know, like there's the video of the uh, Capitol Hill uh, policeman being chased up the stairs um, and he, he stops and, you know, he keeps going, he's being chased. And I'm like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have stood my ground either um, when faced with that many people. And, you know, I think as much as I don't support the police state uh, to just leave them alone, you know, with no support, it's like so much for the law and order party, even though I don't want to hit them from the right on that issue. It's uh, uh, it was just fascinating to watch. Um, and I do. And what has been interesting for me the most has been the responses um, to this. And, you know, we, it's been a large discussion over the last few years. So whether or not Trump and the uh, Make America Great Again movement or Trumpism in general is fascist or not, uh, that's uh, been you know, raging and, you know, many pundits don't want to label Trump or some of his supporters as fascist because he represents the Republican Party, um, which is the main conservative party, right? It's the, um, it's the second party in American politics. Uh, you don't want to label that fascist, right? And I think the responses to this event kind of help delineate, uh, where that d dividing line is in American politics, um, because we we see, you know, quite a few uh, Republican legislators and uh, national figures across the country condemn this, uh, and then you have the new the new guard that came in after Trump's election that uh, didn't necessarily condemn it, and you know. Uh, spread claims that it was an Antifa, uh, <laughs> an Antifa attack on the Capitol, and uh, uh, spreading conspiracies like that. Um, and I think that kind of moves us into this larger uh, talk about America and this growing uh, far right. Uh, if some may want to call it far right, some may want to call it fascist. What's your thoughts on that, guys? Well, I, I think it's really important to really think about this one. And I got two points on this one. So um, if we follow Robert Paxton's and his anatomy of fascism, um, it's he has shown that ideologically uh, fascism means um, loving at a great time before you. Like uh, the driving force of history in fascism is um, the struggle between peoples and races and the golden age is only to come if the inherently superior race wins the struggle. That's also uh, what Hitler said, like uh, with his uh, rhetoric of the Herrenrasse back in the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, yeah, there are pretty much parallels um, in the rhetoric of Trump, like make America great again. It's he refers to the golden age back in the day when uh, America was predominantly white and so on. And he wants to get back to this age because it supposedly was so great. And it's, yeah, you, you can't make it out at this one um, campaign slogan he coined, but it's at least an indicator for me. And the second point I have on um, this conspiracy theory that um, the people storming the Capitol were actually Antifa LARPing as uh, Trump <laughs> supporters. Um, there is this um, parallel to the history of Germany um, 
before the third Reich, uh, before uh, Hitler's reign, uh, because uh, there happened the Reichstagsbrand. Uh, it, there was a fire in the um, building that's the German equivalent to the capital. Mm -hmm. And in the aftermath, it was, uh, yeah, or Hitler and the, his uh, party said that it was done by communists, by the KPD, the Communist Party of Germany. And it was their gate opener to, um, to um, incarcerate leftists all over Germany and like everyone in the KPD. And they were pretty famous people involved like uh, Rosa Luxemburg or Karl Liebknecht. All right. those people like uh, that, we, uh, that were really great uh, people, um, really thoughtful people. Um, yeah, just were incarcerated and um, ultimately uh, a lot of them were also killed. And I fear that these conspiracy theories that are now spread just lead up to the same happenings just in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my fear is that this, you know, Trump has more or less stated there will be a peaceful transition of power. Uh, but in my fear is this is going to be America's stabbed in the back myth. Uh, mm. You know, instead of it being, you know, the Marxists and the Jews, and uh, you know, conceding uh, to the Entente powers, it's just going to be <laughs> yeah. the Democrats stole the elections. But also the Jews and you know, whatever other set part you know different uh, factions of the uh, far right will say. Uh, that's my fear. Uh, so, uh, Esten or Miguel, did it, you guys have any uh, thoughts of whether or not to label Trump uh, or just and what he represents as fascist or not, or you think that's hyperbole? What y'all thoughts? don't think it's hyperbole. I think that, you know, they hit so many of the checkboxes. The, the machismo, the obsession, the obsession with the plot, really, you know, this whole idea that the Democrats stole the election, mm -hmm. the obsession with weaponry and with being a hero, all of these things that characterize fascists also characterize Trumpists. And, you know, fascism has been different in every country. Obviously, it's not the same as what happened in Italy in the 1920s, but it's been a century since that. And, you know, things change, things evolve, but I think that the fundamental nature of things is, like, it's equivalent of mm. Italian fascism and Trumpism. Yeah, and I do think it's, people often view fascism as, like, a form of government instead of, like, a political movement or ideology and i think you know and so instantly you can't compare of trump's presidency to the uh <laughs> to the holocaust and uh you know the uh the right. uh, nazi government uh, Esten, what was your what's your thoughts on the matter uh i mean yeah i agree that they, they kind of hit all the marks for for uh, at least like a proto-fascist um organization or, or ideology. I think mm -hmm. it's important to remember that fascists don't necessarily label themselves as such. I mean, sometimes, but not always. So, Or they don't even necessarily conceive of them as fascists. Exactly. Uh, They're just, again, patriots. I mean, look at what they were calling themselves when they stormed the Capitol. I mean, that was like yeah. extremely undemocratic and extremely against the values of the United States, and yet they're doing it in the shroud of patriotism. Right. Um, and so, yeah. I, I think that is an interesting f phenomenon uh, because we, in America we do we think of like in our mind the stereotypical fascist is the neo-nazi skinhead or uh, the uh, confederate right the people who like the Klansmen we, we think of those as our as like fascists today and I think they're right in that these are people who would conceive of themselves as fascists um, who hearken to the days of Nazi Germany or the American Confederacy um, or Ital the Italian fascists or Franco or any number of uh, fascist movements across the world um, we have this uh, 
core that is ideologically committed to these tenets, and then we have this more um, spontaneous uh, formation around Trump and uh, make America great again as a uh, slogan or as a movement. Um, and I don't think many of them uh, conceive of themselves as fascists. Um, like I grew up in Oklahoma, I know hundreds of Trump supporters and I, w I wouldn't call most of them fascists. Um, I would call them conservatives. Um, and I think it's an, an part of this uh, confusion is since America is a two party state, right? We see this uh, problem on the left of, uh, you know, democratic socialists and Democrats are thrown into the same party. Um, and why we have independent leftists, uh, they're super marginal and it, there's the same thing on the right of, well, you have conservatives and you have fascists thrown into the same party, and uh, you have the further extremes of the fascist uh, wing who are outside the party trying to organize independently. Um, and it just happens that the right uh, will work together much more frequently than the left will, and so we... I think we tend to see the right as a homogenous like force in our society when it's not. Uh, and so th I, I think it's uh, what we're seeing is uh, concentric circles of you have uh, Trump supporters who are conservatives, then you have Trump supporters who are fascists and neo-Nazis and like alt-right. And, you know, some of these identities completely line up and some don't. Uh, uh, and it's, it's quite frightening to think that uh, this movement has really just stolen a march on, on democracy and has come to power and most of the American political systems failed to realize that um, until I think there's going to be some kind of reawakening of this idea um, after this protest. Um, but yeah, it's... I think an important thing to see here as well is um, how fascism has played out and plays out nowadays as well. Like um, they also fascism like uh, leftism or left progressivism uh, relies on some intellectuals who do the work of thought and um, you, you of course need some backing in the general population. But uh, in fascism, there is a pretty, uh, pretty neat thing to be observed. Uh, that is that as long as fascists aren't in power, they try to uh, paint a civil image of themselves, like a civility, like in Marxist terms, as bürgerlich as um, like mm -hmm. um, normal people. And that's mostly shown or has uh, been shown mostly through a dress code. Um, it can be seen in Hitler, who, until right. he gained absolute power as uh, chancellor and president in Germany, he um, he sh he show uh, he has shown them himself as uh, in suit and tie and stuff, not in uniform. And as soon as he um, gained power, he showed up in this uniform. You all know this brown yep. um, mm -hmm. stuff with the. Um, What's it called in English? Hakenkreuz, uh, Aston, maybe you know it. Swastika. Um, swastika, yeah, of course. Right. Um, and stuff even in the uh, Reichstag, in the uh, as I already said, in the equivalent of the capital. And uh, that's an important thing to notice um, also today. Like, uh, even if we have this idea of fascists as skinheads and um, having swastikas. Uh, tattooed all over them and stuff that's not uh the people instigating that's uh that's them who carry out uh fascist action like uh burning in germany it's burning down uh refugee camps and stuff mm -hmm. um like it happened in 1992 if i remember correctly in Vostok lichtenhagen and but the but the thought actually is done by uh people who paint a civil image of themselves and for nowadays in Germany there are two main figures I see that are uh, Andreas Kalbitz and Björn Höcke who 
have written terrible stuff about how the German genius has to survive and in order to survive we just uh, need to yeah kill foreigners and I think that's a position that uh, doesn't fall under free speech and I feel like we maybe should move on to this topic now yeah so uh, after in the aftermath of these uh, protests we've seen uh, Trump being banned from Twitter and various other uh, social media platforms and uh, afterwards he tried to flee to parlor which is a supposed free speech uh, uh, platform that it has been along with Gab host to the far right uh, for two years now uh, and so Trump migrated there and then in the aftermath of that uh, Amazon Apple and Google and all their other vendors terminated uh, their uh, what's it their contracts uh, with Parler and have effectively deplatformed the app itself. Um, and, you know, this has led to a lot of criticism uh, on the basis of freedom of speech, um, particularly the idea that one could just silence the president of the United States. Um, so what's your all's thoughts on the matter? Well, I feel like I've talked a lot today, but I can chime in here as well because, sure. uh, yeah, uh, hanging around at the dark corners of the internet, as I already said, is um, my, yeah, what's it called? My, uh, not obligation, but my obsession. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. And I, just for introductory reasons, um, I just want to read out... Uh, two posts I got from Paula, just, just so you all know uh, what you they're working with. Just before you do this, make sure you censor any... Uh, yeah, 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 I, I will. Um, and the first post is... I don't... I won't uh, drop the name, so I don't want to give any... Uh, any... Uh, attention to these people writing stuff like this, but I, I think uh, we just need to observe what they're writing about and i just want to uh, give you some arguments uh, why this can't be freedom of speech and uh, from then i'll go on uh, about what we can do about it so the first post is um, captain's log 69 the negro and the jew are the two of the most intelligent animals i've seen and have assimilated themselves amongst human civilization Though it seems their tiny brain sizes and animal instincts still help us humans to keep them in control, train and domesticate them. Further research is needed. Post number one. What the fuck? Um, no, I mean, yeah. what the fuck, man? Like, yeah, Jesus it's crazy. Christ. Yeah, so I spent more time on Gab, right? And which is much more explicitly kind of neo-Nazi. God, we got to line these people again, yeah, up against the that's... wall. Like, there's one fucking solution here. I don't see yeah, how we're going to reach across the aisle I... and work with our friends on the other side of the... No, fuck that shit. Yeah, that's... I, honestly, like... And this... And I'm going to make it clear to a lot of... It's, it's not as if these are, like, hard to find on the platforms. No. No, these are, like... Definitely not. Very common... Uh, sentiments and what was the second uh, uh what did what do they call it a parlay I believe. Uh, yeah the second post i found on parlay is um from the same guy uh it's n-word with a hard r what would you say i should look out for when hunting blacks one their ugly black leathery skin two their comically plump n-word lips sorry um three their bulging jaundiced eyes Four, their stupid-looking rough N-word hair. Five, cheap fake gold chains. Which one do you identify with the most? Would an N-word be chomping on a fried chicken and a watermelon while sipping on lean? Uh, that's like these implications he gives, like um, having to hunt black people. Like hunt uh, is, you all know, it's uh, if you're yeah. hunting animals, it's 
for killing it's them. It's very dehumanizing. And, oh yeah, my God. yeah, he's, he's seeing he's um, people on basis of their skin color as animals. And now what I want to say here about freedom of speech, um, there are a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, theoretic work has been has been done, and I think a lot of people are familiar with uh, Popper's uh, paradox of uh, intolerance or paradox of tolerance. I don't know what it's called actually, but it goes like um, if you're tolerant towards intolerant people, you will lose tolerance altogether. Um, right. So I think uh, that's to elaborate that. So. Popper's idea is if you had a perfectly tolerant society, one that was even tolerant of the intolerant, the intolerant, I'm going to say that word a lot, uh, would abuse other people's tolerance in order to uh, bring about a society that is intolerant. Um, and so the so there's no way to maintain a tolerant society without uh, being intolerant of intolerance. Uh, exactly. So, like in, in the German uh, constitution, the uh, Grundgesetz, the first article is uh, that uh, people of all skin colors, of all genders, of all um, races even, uh, it, it dates back to 1949 and the uh, subject of race inside the uh, German constitution has been up for discussion lately. Mm -hmm. uh, but... Uh, uh, needs to be held sacred and to save it from uh, violence is the first uh, duty of the German state. That's the number one article in the German constitution and um, a lot of German, fellow Germans hold it dearly and I hope it uh, keeps on being held dearly because uh, what I want to say here is there are clearly uh, limitations to freedom of speech. Like you it's not a viable position to say, oh, uh, there are people who have a different skin color from me and I think they're animals and uh, thus I'm, I should have the right to hunt for them. And that's uh, the problem we see here, even with mm -hmm. Trump and stuff. Uh, we see um, a shift in the rhetoric already, which is pretty concerning. I think a lot of people have seen this um, discussion between Slavoj Žižek and Jordan Peterson, Peterson mm -hmm. where uh, Peterson was going on about cultural Marxism. And the thing I want to say here that uh, a lot of uh, German writers in uh, the uh, phase before the Third Reich uh, were denounced as cultural Bolsheviks, which which is pretty much the same here. Yeah. And it was great writers like, um, yeah, Albert Einstein, a lot of people know, of course, but also, mm -hmm. um, what was his name? Just uh, let me Google this one real quick. But um, yes, so like uh, prominent like left-wing intellectuals. Uh, not even left-wing, they or, were, uh, yeah. because of the aftermath of the uh, First World War, they were just mm -hmm. anti-war, they were anti-nationalist, not even right. uh, full-fledged communists or anything, but uh, they were. Uh, they just wanted to say um, there is the possibility of another war and we need to prevent it, where Hitler mm -hmm. said no, um, we are the Herrenrasse, the master race, and we have to win a war and um you all know how that one played out yeah um yeah no i um uh, i agree like theory like you know there there is limits to free speech and uh, which are in american law right um i believe you know angela merkel uh recently uh he condemned uh, Twitter's decision to ban Donald Trump, um, but also called uh, for America to uh, regulate social media platforms in a similar way as they do in Germany and across Europe. Um, and in, because in America we leave this up solely to the discretion of uh, these companies. And uh, the problem with that is it's not exactly feasible within the American constitutional system. Um, 
like I think few people would uh, disagree with the idea that uh, you know um, we should uh, <clears throat> censor you know incitement uh, to violence you know things like that uh, and which we do have those protections but um, to extend uh, we have over a hundred years of judicial uh, precedence on the issues of incitement and unless there's a direct uh, call for imminent and someone's in imminent danger of uh, of violence right or you know uh, there's an imminent threat of a riot uh, that there's nothing that that speech is still protected and they can't be arrested for it and by bringing government regulations into it it does become a freedom of speech issue uh, that uh, people can challenge uh, and that they can take to courts currently if uh, donald trump has like no means to say sue uh, twitter uh, for being banned uh, but if the federal government put regulations on it it would open the federal government to a load of lawsuits uh challenging all of this uh, so that's kind of like the institutional reason we don't have that um because our first amendment is freedom of speech and political speech particularly is defended above all else uh, even if it's horribly racist like that one um that's seen as political it's it's disgusting but it's protected yeah like the the problem also is you could uh, ban this kind of speech but uh, that doesn't mean that the thought goes away and in a broader yep. marxist sense uh, one would say that those uh, thoughts are brought brought upon the people through economic conditions and which means that uh, they see an enemy in um in people that are just alien to uh, to them in which in in more academic terms we just call xenophobia mm -hmm. and the the popular right-wing narrative we have in germany is that the foreigners come to germany uh, to on the one hand exploit our social security systems and on the other hand uh, steal jobs from germans so um which contradict themselves by nature both mm -hmm. arguments and the other point is that those uh, people that are believe in the right-wing narratives uh, don't see that the underlying condition for this is capitalism uh, yeah. there is someone who sees um, an immigrant who wants to work for less money which means uh, that he can just up his profits and um Again, also about this uh, Twitter and free speech uh, issue, um, I, I think a lot of our listeners are going to know the subreddit self-aware rules where um, right-wingers run face-first into leftist issues and uh, don't even get the point. And it's just... Um, uh, a po it's just like an instance of uh, this phenomenon. Uh, we we can see that twitter or other social media as well is uh pretty dominant or even important to the way modern discourse works and there is a problem when there's no democratic control over it mm -hmm. so the problem isn't that uh, free speech is censored because it isn't censored by uh by state authorities but it's in the power of uh, the private owners of uh, Twitter and Facebook and so on yeah. uh, to just uh, ban who they don't like and again back to this topic about that the thought that racist thoughts don't go away if you ban uh, talking about it uh, we have this uh, example of uh, the trial to forbid uh, the German NPD it's um, the direct heir to the NSDAP I would say uh, as uh, Hitler's so the Nazi party. party right? Yeah, the Nazi party. It's a national democratic instead of national socialist. But as I said earlier, they just try again to paint a civil image of themselves. And the the main lines of argument concerning uh, banning the NPD 
are yeah we should ban them because they want uh, to undermine democracy in order to um, establish a fourth reich or something like this um, and the opposing argument to this is uh, yeah but we can't ban them because by banning them we just uh, push them into doing underground work and become uh, uncontrollable and uh, even more militant maybe and i support both lines of argument like i can't present a proper solution to this but uh, we need to have a proper education of people it's uh, just this humanistic standpoint uh, of all uh, all humans are created equal is really important today in a world that has been drastically globalized we don't have uh, we don't or we can't just have um, commodities from over all over the world and cherish them but not cherish the people that mm -hmm. um, have come up with the ideas for them and stuff and yeah it's just uh, I think it's the the work that has to be done in, in the whole of the next century or even millennium yeah um Miguel, uh, you come from a former uh, fascist country uh, or a country that lived under a fascist dictatorship. Um, what's your thoughts on this general uh, discussion over freedom of speech and uh, maybe or the banning of uh, fascists from the public square? Uh, what's your thoughts? I think there is no solution to this problem uh, because ultimately I don't want like fascist speech to be out in the open but I have a very hard time thinking that the government should ban speech or right. also that private companies should I think mm -hmm. that you know Twitter banning Trump it's like, okay, it's good that he doesn't have that platform, but at the same time, I don't want Yak from Twitter to decide who gets and who doesn't get a platform, because maybe tomorrow he will turn on the left, yeah. and he will decide that some leftists are dangerous and that they shouldn't have a Twitter account. They, they already have. I mean, I know the World <laughs> Socialist website got banned for a while, uh, so they, yeah. they do do that. It's... Um... That, and that's exactly. for me that's the important part um and that's why i like i don't care if trump's banned uh, but any like passage of new laws or anything institutionally from the government i think i have to uh, not support just because just in american history we have a firm example of this in the house un-american activities committee which was formed to root out Nazi infiltrators in uh, the American government during the Second World War, but after that, and then going into the Cold War, was turned on to the left, and uh, even just liberal academics were targeted. And so, continue, Miguel. No, yeah, that was pretty much my thoughts. That there is eventually no solution. We. One way or the other, we run into an undesirable outcome, and I don't really think there is a way around it. Right. For me, I think, and I, I this has, I've also been influenced on my thoughts on uh, how do we enforce human rights globally without uh, just falling into the imperialist trap, right? of uh, mm -hmm. constant yeah. war and all that and it has for me become well it has to be our communal response as people in the nation to these issues i don't think we can leave it to the government and we can't leave it uh to corporations i think we as communities have to decide hey these fascists are going to march in our community we're going to call venues to try to stop it and if they do have a protest we're going to counter protest and i think we 
we can't let we can't empower the state in this because we know it'll be used against our communities uh and mm -hmm. so i think and part of this problem is is the left in america is in total disarray right there isn't a viable left and so there's no alternative to the use of st the state to crack down on the far right you know in the aftermath of these riots we have dozens of people over 70 people have been arrested and charged including a west virginia lawmaker um, and over 25 domestic terrorism cases have been opened against military personnel and it's <coughs> it makes me wonder you know if there were counter protesters there one the security would have been much tighter uh, because whenever the left protests, the security's much higher. Um, and two, I don't think they would have even tried to go for the Capitol if there was counter-protesting involved, at least in the city somewhere. Um, and so I think it does have to be the community uh, as an actor itself. And yeah. Eston, do you have any thoughts? Um, no, not particularly. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no. Maybe one last thing I want to say about this whole process um, of the um, American election in general is what concerned me the most is uh, that Biden didn't win by too much because, mm -hmm. uh, to be honest, uh, Trump is just a horrible state statesman. He's not really well read on uh, laws. He's not really. Uh, he's not a good diplomat. He, uh, yeah, he he lacks all those qualities that, may, uh, for example, Angela Merkel has. Uh, I don't. I'm not too much in favor of her. She's um, ideologically. She has um, some stuff that I'm truly not on par with. But um, at least she. Uh, knows how to present herself in uh, in an international setting and she knows how to hold uh, proper discussions and how to interact with other states persons or states people maybe i don't know yeah, um maybe you're right all right um and that's what trump lacks horribly and as america is the main a hegemonial force in the world after the end of the Cold War. Uh, that's just not something we can have another four years or even longer. The political content of, of a protest does matter in these situations. And I, it, it's, uh, it's certainly worrying. I think, um, you know, Trump is incredibly incompetent, and I think everyone's been saying this the last few months of now what we're, what I'm really scared of is like a competent successor, right? Someone mm -hmm. who will capture Trump's base and uh, actually know how to wield state power. Uh, I think that's my biggest fear of the uh, outcome of these events. Um, and, and so... I think we'll wrap up this conversation. Um, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, first off, uh, if you have any uh, plugs or just like where people can find you on social media or any projects you'd like to share, just say them now. Uh, Eston, you can start us off. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say to check out the Young World Federalists on Discord and our website, ywf.world. Um, there you can find the link to the Discord and all our social media. Uh, I myself am Eston McKaig on Twitter, M-C-K-E-A-G-U-E. And that's where you can find uh, the podcast I produce with my fiance. Um, it's called Total Global. Yeah. Um, you can find me at Off Brandon's uh, on Twitter. And that's where you can, it's the only place you'll find me. And uh, you can also find this podcast at Most Moderate on Twitter as well. Um, 
So, Alex, do you have any plugs you'd like to share? Uh, no, I'm more of an essay type of guy than a Twitter type of guy. So um, I don't have actually any uh, social media accounts that would be interesting for anyone. <laughs> no worries. Um, and Miguel, if you'd like to share your social media, you can. I don't know why anybody would want to follow me on Twitter, but if you do, <laughs> it's at Miguel somewhere. And I will just say, I don't have another podcast, but I will just say I have been listening to Total Global lately, and you definitely should, because it's very fun. Yeah, it is. Uh, I've, I'm a fan, so I'm glad there's another fan out there. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah, you can, you can sign up and give me money each month. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us on Most Moderate, uh, and have a good week. Bye.